Men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. Arise the Honest Man's Podcast with myself, Karun Avatar Das, and my dear co-host Jai Jagannath Prabhu. As usual, uh, we have very esteemed guests with us today. Um, my spiritual master, Mahatma Prabhu, is with us for the third time. Uh, we're so happy to have you back, Gurudev. And then we also have uh, Janava Devi with us, Mahatma Prabhu's wife. And um, we are going to be getting into a really, really uh, interesting, necessary, uh, sensitive subject matter. Um, can conscious relationships end the dynamics of divorce? Before we get there, though, I just would like to uh, give a proper introduction to both Mahatma Prabhu and Janava Devi. So I'll just jump right into that. So as a disciple of AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada, uh, Mahatma Prabhu has been practicing bhakti for half a century. Um, as a young man, he served, he, oh, I didn't get that. Last time I said half a decade, but this time I got it right, half a century. Yeah. Half a century <laughs> uh, plus, one, plus one year. Yes, 51 years. Um, as a young man, he served as a monk for many years, uh, very extensively. That was about two decades, Srila Gurudev, that you, were, that you were doing that. No, not that long. Maybe, okay, a little, yeah. little bit less, but extensive period of time. Um, and yes, during that time, he was engaged in book distribution, mentorship, temple management, educational development, and as well as overseeing uh, many outreach projects. And then he began his Griasta duties quite a bit later um, in his mid-40s uh, as a, from what I know, as a natural conclusion of parallel service with with Janava Devi, um, we decided that we wouldn't that we wouldn't get too much into into the story today because we have uh, a lot on the on the topic specifically to get through. But anyway, they they got together a little bit later. Maybe in the and, future, uh, if you guys would be open to it, we could have you for our regular conscious relationships episode. And then that would be a more appropriate time to maybe get into some of that. Okay. Anyway, just throwing it out there. Yes. Um, and so all of Mahatma Prabhu's experiences have culminated in the work he does today, developing seminars, workshops, uh, online courses and books. So I would say that a life fully lived, in addition with countless hours of intentional study, has rendered Mahatma Prabhu into a personification of real-world wisdom. He teaches on various topics, including japa meditation, forgiveness, humility, living with vows, and most importantly for today's discussion, relationships. And then he's also a musician and an initiating spiritual master. Um, so thank you so much, Prabhu, for joining us again. And then uh, Janava Maharaji, for the first time, we're very honored to have you. Um, you've been a member of ISKCON since the year 89. Uh, you've done a variety of services, including university outreach, managing the place where the Hare Krishna movement began, 26 Second Avenue. Um, you've taught Shastra to adults and children. 
Dana Vamadji is also the producer of an award-winning film, Women of Bhakti. And in 2015, uh, Dana Devi completed her life coach training with the Robbins Madanes Institute. And in 2016, she earned her certification in marriage counseling with the Gottman Institute for Marriage and Family Therapy. Um, so counseling and teaching courses on healthy relationships has pretty much become her main focus, along with her services uh, continually as a wife and a mother. So certainly immensely qualified uh, guests with us today to, to address this subject matter. And um, yeah, very honored to have you. Very honored and very humbled. And um, wow, those are some really heavy credentials. <laughs> Feeling very humbled by that. Let's get into the conversation. I think a really appropriate place to start is how long you guys have actually been together and what are the principles that make your relationship work or what are the principles that make a relationship work, but specifically those that have assisted your relationship? That's, I think, a natural starting point for this conversation. Ladies first. <laughs> So uh, thanks for having me. Really honored to be here with you. Um, well, we've been together for nearly 28 years. Wow. And it feels like, you know, just yesterday practically. So time really does fly when you're in a good relationship. <laughs> And it's, you can't look, you know, you can look back on the nice things, but when it's a good relationship, there's not a lot of bad things to look back on. So that's nice. That gives yeah. you a positive attitude and mentality. And, and positivity is one of the key elements in having a good relationship, meaning positivity towards the other person, mm. right? <laughs> Thinking about the things that they the good qualities that they have, the wonderful things that they do, as opposed to focusing on the things that they don't do or they don't have, or they've, the way they've disappointed you or not met your expectations. And that's really key because a lot of people go into a relationship with unrealistic expectations. Mm. I like to tell my clients that, you know, don't expect him to be Krishna and don't expect her to be Radha, mm. right? This isn't a Radha and Krishna story where, you know, two conditioned souls, two human beings, two bhakti practitioners, you know, trying to purify ourselves together. And um, friendship and respect and cooperation are, you could say, the foundations for then developing a meaningful relationship where you can feel the support and the connection and the inspiration to grow together materially and spiritually. Wow, powerful opener. I'm like taking notes, like I'm like, oh, I just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to say because I'm a marriage counselor, and, <laughs> nice, you know, nice. but I'll just leave leave it at that for now. Mahatma Prabhu, do you want to add something? Well, there are many things that could be added, but that will come out in due course. But uh, my first thought was that, at least I remember, that 
at least for me, I don't know if it was for you, but you 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 did it. I don't know if we made an agreement. Maybe we did that we would never use the word divorce. Like that was never an option. So like whenever wow. whenever there's a problem, you just yeah. don't use that word. And yeah. that's not a door that, you know, if that door exists, block it up. You don't have that door. Because whenever you have a back door to run out of, when you have a problem, when it gets really bad, you'll look towards it. Mm. But if you block that back door, you have to solve the problem because you don't have that option. So I, I think that when you get married, you have to go in for the long haul. Like we're committed to make this work out no matter what. I think that's an essential principle. And that's a principle of commitment in anything. You know, burn the boat when you, you know, there's no, you got to win the war or you're going to die, you know. So I think, you know, the divorce word comes up. When it comes up, that's a big red flag. Just even oh. if, you know, somebody brings it up, then why don't we get divorced? It's like, you've already put a crack in the foundation. Mm. And now that's become a possibility. And and that's, don't do that, you know. So, mm. I mean, it mm. may have to become a possibility at some point for whatever reason, but yeah it shouldn't be a possibility until it's the only it becomes the only possibility if it does mm -hmm. but it, and i think Jonova can tell you that with the with the counseling she does and the process she learned you can you can save most marriages that are headed for divorce or at least many mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with just with with that being said Shulagurdev, like from what you're saying and and i think that you know the the in the inherent value of that is is self-evident um but it's like you know in our in our krishna consciousness society we have such strong as you've just said we have such strong values around making marriage last and making it really making it work in the long term yet we still see that there is so much divorce in the Krishna consciousness society. And um, from many of the stories that I've heard, the reasons for some divorces, just from people's subjective experience of what happened in their marriage, the reasons for their divorce is completely justified, you know, from 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 all the trauma that they've been through. So I I sort of wanna wanna bring it to like the other side and ask um, when is when is divorce justified and and when it is justified what could be the the reasons for it being justified that you have encountered yeah let's start with that second question first um, just in sequence what what causes divorce and particularly in the work that you all have done, you've seen very like specific causes to relationships breaking down. So yeah, we'd like to hear about that maybe for starters. Before we jump to the when is divorce justified? I'm sorry, I'm triggered because our generation, like our generations, and I'm talking about millennials and after, we've kind of by osmosis inherited a disposable culture. Everything is disposable. And so it's translated into our relationships also. So I just feel like we're almost tuned or wired to jump to that second question. You know, when is it justified though? You know, <laughs> when is, like, we're almost like, that's where our mind is going to go. And so I want to save that 
to like the very end, like a five minute little soundbite, which it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> and not that, that it should be like an important factor because as Muhammad Peru, you just said, you guys decided in the very beginning, never use the word divorce because already that's you know a problem. So yeah, maybe we can start with in your in your work that you've done with relationships. What have been some of the main factors that have led to the breakdown of relationship that it leads to divorce? Who's going first? <laughs> you, you're are, going, I can go. Gonna... Yeah. 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 So usually the breakdown of a relationship happens over time. Right. And right. it starts when both or one individual feels disrespected, mm. not cared for, and they start to emotionally isolate themselves. Mm. And so it's like two people living parallel lives, but they're not, they're not connected, right? And a lot of times they make many attempts, what we call bids, bids for connection. And they come in all varieties of ways, like things that you say, hoping that the person will respond, but maybe they ignore you. Or worse than that, instead of ignoring you, maybe they say something really negative and hurtful. Or, you know, maybe you do something nice for them, but they don't notice it. You know, it goes unnoticed, unacknowledged. Or you, you know, go to massage their shoulders and they're like, get off of me, I'm busy. So we're constantly on a daily basis, like making bids for mm -hmm. connection. And when the bids get either missed, which means turned away or worse, turned against, mm -hmm. then the person starts to shut down and they don't feel that the relationship is safe anymore or meaningful anymore. They start to lose hope and then they withdraw. And so, the, so those are some really... Um, tangible ways that a relationship starts to break down. Mm. Um, but there's lots of things that can happen. There's lots and lots of things. And it usually, like I said, erodes, you know, over time, someone just starts to withdraw emotionally. And then what happens is they start to get their emotional needs met by other people. Mm. And then they start to think, what do I you know, what do I need this relationship for? I'm not getting anything from it except pain and hurt and resentment and disrespect and contempt and all these negative behavioral patterns that start to manifest in a relationship that's not working, right? There's actually four negative behaviors that relationships we call them the disasters of relationships, you know, where mm -hmm. you see a relationship that's sort of on the rocks. These behaviors are manifesting. It's like a volleyball game, you know, going back and forth between the couples. This is something I teach with my clients, to my clients and in my workshops. And the good thing is that all of these behaviors have antidotes. Mm -hmm. So when you learn the positive way to express yourself and manifest your feelings, it can turn things around really quickly. So like my job is to make, is to improve marriages, right? Is to help people, support people, improve marriages, upgrade marriages, save marriages, 
So I'm not in the business of divorce at all. You know, it's mm. like the opposite. It's very uplifting and hopeful and inspiring and touching. So the interesting thing is that on an average, it takes a couple about seven years if they last that long <laughs> from the time they identify a problem, what we would say is like a perpetual problem, right? Because there's solvable problems, like a, a problem and they figure it out and it goes away. Then there's problems that keep coming up. You keep having the same tumultuous, toxic conversation over and over. It just doesn't go away. So these are perpetual problems. So it takes them really like about seven years from the time they identify that to when they'll go and seek professional help. And that's just wow. too long. Right Prevention is so much better. And the longer you go, the more layers there are to unpeel and time to, uh, to heal the wounds and unpack everything. So I'm always encouraging couples, if they're finding things in the relationship that aren't working, that they should seek help because we're not trained to have good relationships, right? That's not something we learn in school. We don't usually come into the world with that. Most of us don't have good modeling. And then most of us aren't very high on the literacy scale of emotional literacy. So when we're having emotional, when we're having emotions, when we're feeling things, right? Especially uncomfortable things, we don't know how to deal with them. And so we strike out or they manifest in a very negative, unhealthy way. And that's strikes out onto our partner. Mm. So a lot of times we don't want to get divorced. You know, we don't, we want to get out of this. We want to break the pattern, but we're helpless in knowing how. And so education is the best way to break through this unhealthy behavior and patterns and what we think is a bad, it may not be such a bad relationship. It's just a few things that need to get worked out. And that's where support comes in. I have so many follow-up questions, <laughs> but um, just a quick, just a quick one. <laughs> um, just if you can delineate just very briefly, what are these four behaviors in a disasters or relationship? Okay, well, that's the whole workshop. <laughs> I, I figured it. I figured it was. <laughs> it is, but I'll 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 summarize. Yes, thank you. Can, um, can I say something first before she yeah, does? Of course. Okay. The um, she was trained, she was trained by the Gottman Institute, and I didn't do all the training, but I did some. Okay. And at that time, I think we had been married like 25, 26 years, and we were both learning things that we didn't know. So you know, think, well, I've been married 25 years, so I know everything. Not necessarily. You may know how to do everything wrong, and you just keep doing it wrong. You know, it's not because you've done something long that you're that good at it. Not necessarily true. So that was um, that was very interesting. And and the point to realize is that, you know, when we enter a marriage, we think, well, I like you, and you like me, therefore it's going to work until we start living together and realize I don't like you as much as I thought I did, you know, because I'm seeing another side. Mm -hmm. When, when John was talking, I was thinking, you know, 
like, I'm so lovable. How could we have a problem in our marriage? You know, everybody likes me. So I just have to be me and she'll like it, which is true to a certain degree. But some of me, she was like, hmm, you could do better. So um, that's where education comes in because we're entering this arena and we think, well, it's just going to work out because we like one another. That's one of the major illusions, you know, because you find out more about the other person and then you realize, no, we need to know. We need to know how to relate. There are skills, there are attitudes. Anyway, she'll tell you about some of the things. It's, it's very enlightening what you're going to hear now. Okay. Well, um, yeah. Let's... Unless you want to go off on another, that's fine. No, no, no I, was, I, I just wanted a, a brief summary of that. And then I wanted to yeah. ask the same question to Mahatma Prabhu, this in his okay. work with individuals, okay. what are some yeah. of the key factors that he's also observed that leads to breakdown of relationships? Yeah, I, would, I, I, I want to um, add it. Yeah, go okay. Ahead. I just wanted to add one thing because we kind of jumped the gun a little bit. We didn't start out at the beginning when it's the wrong people together because that mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, it's the wrong screw and nut and then you're trying to make them fix and go into the counselor and trying to make them fix and no, but it's the wrong size. So mm -hmm. that, I think that's also another important issue. But I love him. But I love her, you know. Okay, that's great, but that doesn't mean you should marry one another, you know. So that's that's a really difficult one to get beyond. I feel so good when I'm around him. I feel so good when I'm around her. Okay, that's good, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're the right couple. And if you make the wrong choice, it's like you bought a lemon, and now it's always in the shop being repaired. It's better to buy a good car that was taken care of and it works well for you. Mm. That's super, super important because prevention, announce it prevention. Just being, you know, not just enamored just because you like them or you have things in common. We like we both like kirtan, so we're gonna do kirtan together. Okay, that works for a while, but that's only one dimension of many. And and that's what brings up the spiritual question, you know, why are there problems spiritually? Because you like Kirtan, I like Kirtan. Well, then, obviously, we should get married and travel the world and do Kirtan. You know, that means because we like Kirtan, everything else is going to work. No, there's like 25 other dimensions that may be out of sync. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay, I had lots of follow up questions, but let's take it first with this four behaviors summary, just because I think that could be interesting for people to yes. hear. For sure. Yeah, but I definitely second the motion on what Mahaprabhu is saying. And that I think that's something relatively unique to our spiritual community mm. is that people are getting married for very different reasons and not always the right reasons than um, other communities, let's say. Non-spiritual mm. communities. That mm. that that is a whole issue in itself. I definitely want to get on that. I got that. Yeah, it's a big problem, and mm. I think that's one of the reasons why we do see relation. You know, couples not sticking it out because mm. the the beginning. You know the the reason the intention wasn't so carefully thought out and planned and considered. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Can we just touch on those four behaviors? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm so, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so, there, so the four negative behaviors that um, 
will absolutely destroy a marriage if done enough. It doesn't mean we don't do any of these ever, but the intelligent, emotionally intelligent couples know how to use the antidote and they know how to repair the damage. So the four behaviors are um, criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. So criticism is when we attack the character or personality of the person for the reason of the problem, right? Mm. So we don't know how to express the problem and what we need, we blame them for it and we attack them, you know? Yeah, we criticize them, you know, you're stupid. I can't believe you did that. What's wrong with you? Um, it's all your fault. You, you never do that. You always do that. I've told you a hundred times and you can't remember. You're so lazy. And we do this, you know, even good relationships. Sometimes we do, we don't even know we're doing it. Mm. When someone experiences what they perceive as an attack or a criticism, then they naturally, generally, unless they're emotionally intelligent as well in the relationship, defend themselves. So then they, they immediately deny what they did, even if they did do it, right? Um, or they turn it around, well, maybe I did, but look at what you did, right? Or it's not my fault or, um, or an excuse. Yeah, I did, but you don't understand how busy my day is. What did you do today? You know, so they just start defending themselves. Mm. Um, then there's contempt. So contempt, the data shows that contempt is the most toxic behavior of all, and it's the greatest predictor of divorce. So contempt, mm. oh, in regards to the criticism, Criticism is when you have like a superiority complex, right? You think you're better than the other person. You're smarter than them. You know how to do it better than them. And contempt is like criticism on steroids. <laughs> so it's, you know, you, it's just a blatant put down. Mm. And we find that in abusive relationships, the abusive partner uses contempt constantly to put them down, to break down their sense of self. So they really lose that sense of esteem and, you know, ability. And um, contempt is totally toxic. So it's, it's just putting someone down constantly and making yourself feel much better about yourself and making them feel much worse about themselves. And it's not only verbal, but it can be um, with like mocking someone, like imitating the way they do something because you think it's really dumb or rolling your eyes like, oh my God, so stupid. <laughs> or sneering some little rude kind of sound that comes out of your mouth of disapproval, right? Then the fourth is stonewalling. So stonewalling is when you get so emotionally charged because there's some kind of miscommunication or argument or you know very unpleasant back and forth going on. You don't know how to deal with it. You actually become emotionally 
surcharge. And so the heart rate starts beating really fast. The pulse increases. Some people might find themselves sweating. They're actually about to have like an emotional meltdown. So the way we manage that as human beings is we shut down, we withdraw. And so we may be physically present, but we're not emotionally present. So somebody may be saying, and you did this and you did that and I can't, and I don't, and you're hearing it, but you've, you've checked out. And all you're thinking is like, shut up, please stop. I can't take this anymore. When is this going to end? And you're afraid to say something because you're afraid if you do, it's just going to add fuel to the mm. fire. Some people, they just can't even stay in the same room as the person anymore. So you run out and shut the door and slam it. But you, you've checked out. Or it could look like a deadpan, right? So you're just like, you know, they're yelling at you. You're not looking at them. You're looking at the floor. You're looking at the wall. You're just checking out. So criticism is when we attack, make ourselves feel better than the other person. We attack their personality or some vulnerable quality that they have, and we blame them for some situation. Instead of just dealing with the situation, you make them the problem. Defensiveness is when you are unwilling to take any responsibility for what's happened and you flip it around by playing innocent victim, by blaming. There's contempt, which is when you put the person down to such a degree that you make yourself way up here and you make them feel like garbage, right? And then there's stonewalling. And the precursor to that is called flooding. So flooding leads to stonewalling. And that's when you don't know how to communicate anymore. You're basically in um, self-survival mode, right? You have to just self-soothe. So you just cut yourself off. And um, data shows that men tend to do stonewalling more. Mm -hmm. You know, they have less mm -hmm. of that emotional capacity to engage in an, a difficult, maybe unpleasant exchange. So they just, you know, they close the door. And these are the four behaviors that have shown with 650 couples research that um, it, long story short, Dr. Gottman spent three years um, observing 650 couples coming from all different kinds of demographics in an apartment for a weekend. And they observed the couples. It took them 10 years to analyze the data. And with 93% accuracy, based on those four principles and a few other things, which we can't get into today, they were able to predict which couples would still be together and which ones would wow. have dissolved and they checked back 10 years later with all the couples based on these four based on these four principles right yeah the Are four well the four behaviors dr gottman calls them the the um the four oh. horsemen of the apocalypse because <laughs> the apocalypse is a biz a biblical term that okay. means the destruction right mm -hmm. the end is near so he called them those behaviors can predict that the end is near. And then there were seven more principles that 
I teach in my course, which is based on this called the seven principles for making marriage work. Hmm. So the couples, whether who were still together, minimal four horsemen knowingly or unknowingly were engaging in those seven principles, which make marriages succeed. Wow. So it's quite um, scientific actually. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of blown away actually how scientific it is actually. Um, I, I just thought, you know, I like you, you like me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was, so I'd like to come back to that question, um, Mahatma Prabhu, that you brought up and you seconded um, the notion, um, Janava, this idea of the wrong people coming together and, and Jennifer, you made the point, and it kind of makes sense to me that this is probably precisely why we see divorce so high in spiritual communities like our own. And I thought the, the, the reason why that made sense to me is because I heard, I have heard probably a thousand times in our communities, you know, by the Krishna principle, you can transcend all, <laughs> you know, all sorts of um, things that aren't compatible. So you look at a couple and like sometimes I've seen with friends like, I don't think y'all look compatible. Well, it's the Krishna factor. And by the Krishna factor, you can transcend, you know, all sorts of incompatibilities. And the statistics show us that either the Krishna factor isn't really working out too good, or <laughs> maybe we need to have a better approach to our, you know, how we enter into relationships. So I think in our community, that's one factor. Plus, culturally speaking, the inheritance of just like broken relationships and our stories and our music and our movies and, and all the various sort of cultural edifices have given us and our generations this sort of broken thing. I don't even know if you can really call it a relationship anymore. It's just like this broken old archetype that doesn't really work anymore. So we have that inheritance and then we have this idea that Krishna will help us transcend everything. That doesn't seem to be working. So I like to, maybe we can unpack this a little bit more. Mahatma Prabhu, you, you brought up this particular point. So maybe we could start with you. Maybe unpacking this. What does it mean the right people coming together? Like, what does that even mean anymore? Mm -hmm. Well, when you were talking about the Krishna factor, it's true if you can get it into fourth gear, but I think um, most devotees can't get out of first gear, so there's not enough Krishna factor. Wow. There are marriages with Krishna factor in fourth gear that weren't so compatible, but those devotees are still together. You know, it's it's not like they have a bad relationship. It's just they never had a really great one because they were actually the wrong people. So it can work, but for most people are not that Krishna conscious. Yeah, Keep it real. <laughs> I want to bring up a, a, an additional point because um, I, I, I think Janava wants to talk a little bit more about the spiritual because she deals with all, all, all kinds of couples coming together for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. I want to take it to a little different topic, equally important and, and definitely relates to this, okay. is the individual not being ready themselves. It's not like the other person is wrong or incompatible. It's me. And I may be compatible with that person, but I'm not emotionally mature enough yet to be married. I need to be healed. And um, I was listening to the wisdom of the sages and Raghunath gave a good example. It's like two people coming together who are both in debt 
and they want to get married. And he said, maybe you should get out of debt first. So he used that as an analogy of two people who are who need to be healed, who come together. And um, it doesn't work. And the classic example is two people who have low self-esteem, who therefore are depending on the other person to build up their self-esteem. And it that is like a textbook example of disaster. Mm. So um, that that that's one point. And the other point I think Janova was alluding to, and, and I have a lot of experience of is okay, maybe, maybe emotionally I'm okay. All of us can grow more for sure. But I'm just not, I don't know anything about relationships other than relationships with men, which is pretty easy because we just call one another dirty names and beat one another up and we all laugh. So, you know, you can't do that with a, with a woman or the woman has the way, she, you know, she emotes with her friends and she's doing that with a guy and he's like, is this all you want to talk about? Yeah. So, you know, and then we think, well, I have good relationships with the same sex, so I should have good relationships with the opposite sex. But then when you get married, you say, no, I'm playing a different game here. And I never actually learned how to play this game. And I thought I could play it because I played well with the same sex. Or I had friends of the opposite sex, completely different. Com oh. When you're together, husband and wife, that's a unique, unique game. And you've never played it before, even if you had a girlfriend or boyfriend. Well, you didn't live together. If you didn't live together in a committed relationship, you didn't fully play it. So I think those two things are extremely important. You, you want to learn how to play the game before. You want to learn how to box before you go in the championship fight. And you want to work on yourself. And what happens in marriage is inevitably whatever you need to work on, it's going to come up because your spouse is a mirror to that. And a lot mm -hmm. of times what happens is you blame, like John was saying, you blame, you blame your spouse for being the mirror because they're shining the mirror on you and you don't like them. And so you don't realize why you don't like them. It's just because they're pointing out what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So you really have to enter a marriage in that mood of, I, I, I want to grow emotionally and I'm willing to look at what I need to do. And I, and it's okay if my spouse points it out, not even okay, it's actually good. Grateful for that. How else would I learn? Who else is going to point it out? These kinds of things are important. You're, I know and, you're speaking from personal experience. Well, I think it's I'm true really for good everybody. at that, aren't I? <laughs> every wife is good at it. I'm not. I'm not just pointing at you. Every wife, every wife has vested interest in seeing her husband be better. Mm. <laughs> not every husband takes it well because you know if the husband's too much you know i'm in charge i'm the man then he can't benefit from that and um you know sometimes john of it does it with me and i just laugh it just becomes funny because it's right and i know it's right and so i just laugh about it i go yeah you're the only one who's going to tell me so if you can take it that way, it's great because who like you know who else is going to tell who else is going to tell me you know that I said the wrong thing in a class. Oh, I'm sorry. I, God, I didn't realize like this has got so much juice in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but um, okay, we want to we want to come back to this um wrong Mirroring people coming together person. due to the spiritual thing, and you've given yeah, that question yeah. to Jonova to really expound upon. Yeah, but before this, right before we get into that, just on this the self work that needs to happen, growing emotionally and learning how to relationship part 
where are we supposed to get that? Because mm -hmm. it seems to me the old world, people were getting married by the time they were 20. Like that mm -hmm. was like, even in the Western world, it was very standard to get married very young. And of course, in the Vedic culture, we hear how young they're getting married. And so that means, if that is true, that means they were getting it from their communities around them where yes. you have proper families. Yes. yes. But that's not how we get information right. now. So how are we supposed exactly. to grow emotionally okay. and learn exactly. how to relationship in time, so to speak? Okay. Here's my take on it. Okay. The self-development industry, industry was necessary when the family fell apart. Because mm. ultimately, if you analyze what you're learning from there, it's just like what your grandmother would have told you or your uncle or your older brother or your father, you know. Uh, one time someone gave me a whole series by Tony Robbins. And I was listening to that and I was thinking, you know, I learned all this on Sankirtan. So, you know, it's it's like how to think, how to attitude, you know. Um, so you're in a situation and there's your aunt, your cousin, your grandmother, two grandmothers, grandfather, you, you know, you're protected. You have a problem, you go to them. Plus the context, you're living in this, extended family you're not going to have like a big fight with your wife and you know if you do they'll just the referees are there they'll intervene they'll help you so i think the the world 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 of self-help marriage counseling and all was was a necessary ingredient because of the breakdown of the family um both structurally and just the the degradation of kali yuga because my generation was the first generation just that you know it was that relationships were primarily based on sex, not commitment. Mm. And so, you know, if you're born of parents like that, even good parents, you may inherit some of that mentality, like you're saying, it's the culture. And I think the one of the most important things that we can do as individuals is see where we need to grow, see where our weak spots are, and find out someone, some course, some devotee, secular person, whatever, we need to do to fill that spot because mm. if we're not healed in that area and we're not mature in that area, it creates so many unnecessary problems. I read in a book written by, who is that author who wrote The Road Less Traveled? Scott Peck. I was staying at a devotee's house and there was some other book by Scott Peck. I open it up and say, oh, what's this? First thing I read is adults do not emotionally mature beyond the age of 11 unless they work on themselves which explains why we see adults acting like kids. It's like, he's acting like a kid and he's 46. So when you get married, it really becomes like John of us saying, you know, defense, defense is a typical thing kids do. You know, you know, you shouldn't do this. Well, you do it also. You did it first. You know, that's what kids do. And so when you're aware of these things, you catch yourself doing that. I remember one time, Jonavit gave me some advice and I got really upset. And about three minutes later, I went and apologized. I said, you know, it's just, I've never been good at taking advice. I always figure things out myself. That's, I'm very independent. And I just want to apologize because I know it's my nature. So at least to be self-aware of what you're lacking on is so important. At least you can apologize for acting that way if you can't even make it better. It's just, I know I shouldn't do this, but I do it. And just be, please understand, be tolerant. At least that much is very, I believe is very important. So emotional maturity, such an important element of everyone's life. So I'll end there and then 
Is that okay? Is I that mean, amazing? that was great. I just like the idea of do what you got to do to grow emotionally and learn how to relationship. If you got to go to a secular party, whatever, but do what you got to do to fulfill that requirement and, and, and to replace what's missing because of the broken home. Very practical advice. Yeah. I want to tell you something that I have experience of lately. Um, I work in a group called Sabah and we're, we institute, we're starting to institute certain IT technology to help us work better. Okay. And then we were just uh, meeting today with Goranga and Goranga saying they're rolling out a class on leadership and, and, and so much of this has already been figured out in the IT world and the leadership world. It's just techniques that move things faster. And when I look at them, I go, I would have never thought of that. This is an ingenious system. You, you meet this way, you, you say this first, you do this, you take the material to this committee, they do it, then you take it to the group. You know, it's like a system. So in the same way, like John was saying, marriage has been studied by Gottman. He, he knows it's just, this is how it works. Just follow it. So learn from them. You know, we can mm. learn, of course, from devotees, the spiritual side. But sometimes we, we definitely need a more scientific, systematic approach that just makes it like, oh, you just do this. And you see your wife or husband responds positively. Oh, I, I wouldn't have known that. So I don't think devotees should think, oh, we go to the secular world. They're just using material principles, laws of gravity, you know. Right. I can't learn the law of gravity from my physics professor because he's not a devotee. I'm going to jump off a building. No, you know, that would be foolish. So I don't it's think so funny. we can't go to the secular people to learn how to have healthy relationships, but I don't mind watching a series of something on Netflix where I can learn <laughs> how to be unhealthy. <laughs> so yeah. let's go back to this other question, Janova. We would like to really kind of unpack this idea of the wrong people getting together, which is kind of a, I would probably even say a novel concept for a devotee community. You're a devotee, I'm a devotee, we're gonna try and see. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just my observation, right? Mm. I'm not saying it's scientific or anything, or it's been studied, but it's just my observation that, and Mahatma Prabhu was alluding to it earlier, is that you know, kind of take these two people who both want to be in a relationship and there's something about the other person that they like. Mahatma was saying, you know, being around them makes them feel good or we have these certain things in common. We both like kirtan. And, you know, we're, we're protected at that moment in that time by this kind of spiritual Krishna bubble. And so it just seems like, yeah, let's, let's get together. Let's make this work. We're both want to be good devotees. We respect each other. We're good in our hearing and our chanting. We want to become pure devotees. What could go wrong? You know? Um, but anybody who's been around long enough will tell you that it's, it's just not like that. That's not how, we most of a ha most of us have to that's not the journey that most of us take in our spiritual life right there's ebbs and there's flows you know there's high times and low times and we all bring with us our material personality and nature which really never goes away mm -hmm. and sometimes we put it on the back burner when we're in this very immersive point in our spiritual life you know it just it's like back there but you know it's just not really 
coming through because we're really focused on our spiritual life. But it will come through. You can be sure of it. You know, when you're not under the protection of your little bubble of being at the temple or being in this yatra or being at that festival or being at the Holy Dom at the Mayapur Academy or whatever, you know, when you find yourself in your home with this person trying to figure out how you're going to support yourselves and raise your kids and and you navigate your way through your days and your weeks and your months and your whatever you've had, that's what you bring to the table. Mm. You know, that's what's going to be of use or of not of not of use. Mm. Um, and then your background, you know, like I work with couples a lot who come from really different backgrounds. So there's cultural challenges and obstacles. And it doesn't mean you can't get through it. But these are things that young, especially young people who are in that Krishna bubble, they don't think about that. Mm -hmm. you know, they don't think about how all, how all of the material reality is going to come into play. And then they're just not going to know how to work through it. So, you know, I'm... I'm of the opinion that couples should wait. You know, if they think they're the right couple to be together, this is just my personal opinion and anybody can disagree with me, but I, I always encourage them to wait longer than they would like to, you know, wait longer than they think they should wait and really spend the time getting to know each other, getting to know the families, the background, the enduring vulnerabilities that mm -hmm. each individual brings to the relationship. Many couples I work with come to the table with trauma, with background trauma. It's, it's more common than not. This is what I'm finding with people probably, you know, 35 and under or something. I mean, I haven't come up with the numbers exactly. But I'm finding that the younger couples, many, many of them, it's not to say older couples haven't had trauma, but it, you know, Kali Yuga is progressing, right? So I see that many people come with, with background trauma and they bring that with them, you know? So, and, and a lot of times the, the other person didn't even know about it. You know, or they never bothered to meet the family, or they they just never bothered to get the. I feel like background information is important. It's not to judge, like, oh, mm. you're sinful and I'm not, or you did more of this than I did. It's it's not for judging purposes. It's for understanding purposes. It's so that you can understand the full person and the you know, the, the vulnerabilities they bring to the relationship to make sure that you're equipped to deal with it, to make sure that you want to deal with it. And sometimes what happens is red flags go up, right? When people take time to learn that, there are little red flags and there's little inconsistencies about how they present themselves and you know, the background or the history or what other people are saying about them or all kinds of scenarios that start to reveal themselves. And so that's when somebody should think, oh yeah, 
I don't, I got to get out of this or I have to really reconsider this. Mm. Um, So I think that, you know, just to sort of piggyback on what Mahatma Prabhu is saying is that, you know, some people just aren't ready for a relationship. It doesn't mean they'll never be ready, but they're not ready and they need to do their work. Mm. Everyone who's had a traumatic past needs to do their work, whether they do it personally, with a counselor, with a mentor, in workshops, with a professional, however they choose to do their work, to work through it, every individual should do it. And if they don't, then you will see it coming up in the relationship in very challenging ways, either in a way that they can't cooperate or get along or whether it's anger or whatever it is or depression they hide out and the partner doesn't know why they're unable to communicate but they didn't even know they had depression or they had it but they didn't reveal it like you know we're dealing with the real world here and you know most people come with a lot of baggage and it's important to know your baggage, you know, to, to let go of your baggage or to begin the process of letting go of it. And your partner should know what it is. It's, it's when there's a lot of um, transparency and honesty, then couples can make educated, informed decisions about whether, you know, this is going to work for us. I don't necessarily think like it's just about where we're meant to be together or we're not meant to be together. Mm. It's, I don't really, I don't subscribe to that concept. And Dr. Mm. Gottman has done so much research to show that all kinds of people can actually have wonderful relationships if they're able to use the principles of making the relationship work. Even if people have lots in common, but they don't know how to cooperate, just for a funny example, let's say there's this couple and they love the outdoors, right? They love hiking and boating and thising and thatting. So they go on a, a canoe trip, right? But they're not good communicators. They don't know how to cooperate and respect. So the whole time they should be having this lovely, idyllic trip. They're arguing about, you know, who should paddle on which side of the boat, you know, you're going too fast. No, you're going too slow. No, get it out, put it in the front. Right. So it's like a disaster, but they love, but they just love the outdoors. Mm. Whereas, you know, you could get someone who loves the indoors and who loves the outdoors, but the indoor person wants to go with the outdoor person because they want to just support them mm. and they want it and they enjoy being together. So it's less about the activity and it's more about the togetherness. They're the couple who can have this amazing canoe ride because they're in tandem with their strokes with the paddle. Mm. So I don't think that there's like a particular recipe or a one size fits all thing. Or if you come from that country and I come from that country, we're definitely not compatible or you came from a rich background and I came from a poor background, but this, these things have to be discussed 
they have to be addressed, they have to be acknowledged and looked at to see how it's going to affect our daily existence. Mm. Wow, I'm just yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really wondering Corona Avatar cut me off bro because I wanna I'm gonna hijack this complete <laughs> podcast right now. But I, I do have one pressing question because you're both emphasizing the need for individual work in order for you to even have a chance of discovering the quote right person to enter into a relationship. And I'm wondering, especially this is the Honest Man's podcast, I'm wondering, what, do you have a sense of the loss of gender roles really impacting the sort of work that you would do on an individual level to enter, to prepare yourself for entering into a relationship? I feel like the old world, whether it worked perfectly or not, they had a lot of clarity around gender roles. So it made it super clear when you were growing up how you might prepare yourself, at least as an archetype to sort of mimic until you actually enter into a relationship. This is my this is my role. But in, as starting probably, I mean, it started mid 20th century, but especially by the millennials and Gen Z, our culture is very androgynous. I, yeah. I call it the androgynous generation. And so yeah. there's no clarity on anything including gender yeah. roles, even the whole concept of gender is now being deconstructed. There's up to you know 93 genders there on certain concepts. And so with, without a clear sense of gender roles, how's an individual supposed to prepare themselves, you know, at least kind of stepping into an archetypical man, woman, so that you could be that for a relationship. I was wondering your, your views on that because that's, I feel like that is a huge issue for our generations. We're we're so androgynous now. Even the whole concept of gender can be a problematic. I mean, we know the whole there's calling a woman mother, for example, that somehow has become a huge issue for reasons I think are fair and reasons that I think are wild. But um, so yeah, I, I'm wanting to hear because you're both emphasizing the need for individual work, and it seems without the assistance of a sense of a sort of gender role. Does that complicate the sort of work that one would do? That's, I guess, the question I'm, I'm curious about. Can I answer and then you go? <laughs> sure, of course. Okay. So I look at it, there's three, there's three elements here that devotees have to contend with. Mm. There's three realities in relation to gender and just in relation to figuring out how to make that work. So... There's the now, the then, and the Krishna consciousness. Mm. So let's look at then. So um, in traditional cultures or in, let's say, more traditional cultures than the culture now, right? Like we're looking at generations ago, even in the Western world, and then even more traditional cultures going back. Marriage and family was so different than it is now, right? So people generally were born in a village or a town or maybe even a city and they stayed there and they got a, a local career profession or job. Um, they stayed in the vicinity, maybe even within the building or the house of their elders and their extended family and 
couples came together, especially we're talking like an agrarian, agrarian culture. Mm. They came together for the purpose, not of enjoying each other's company or making the other person happy, but it was a contract mm. to take care of the land, to have kids so the kids could help take care of the land and to continue on life and survive, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where the concept of um, we grow and we love each other, right? You, you grow and love each other, you love grows. Mm -hmm. That's where the idea of love grows came from. People just got together for practical reasons. Uh, the D word was never there, hardly, mm -hmm. right? And they, and they made a life together and they were focused on something much bigger and greater than themselves. Mm. There was no Valentine's Day. You know, there was no idea of this, you know, idyllic, fantasized, false sense of romance and soulmate. In fact, soulmate was not meant for my partner. It was meant for God. Mm. God was my soulmate. God filled the hole in my soul, in my heart. God was my soulmate. God gave me bliss, not my partner. Mm. You know, my partner was just the person that we worked in tandem together to make life as good as we could. Mm. And the thing is, it worked. You know, it worked. If you look back and you see, it worked. And um, now what we have, as you're talking about these current generation, is unlimited amounts of choices and decisions because all the rules have been broken, all the boundaries have been shattered, and now couples have to decide everything. Where are we going to live? What kind of job are we going to get? Are you going to be the breadwinner? Am I going to be the breadwinner? How many kids? Who's going to take care of the kids? Um, you know, you know, and the gender role thing. You know, are you going to stay at home? Are you going to take? You know, it just it it never ends. And on top of that, if that person doesn't fulfill all of my needs and make me feel whole and full, then there's something wrong with them. And that means there's something wrong with the relationship. And that means we should probably get divorced. Oh, my God. That's the mindset of the current climate of relationships in the world that we live in. And, you know, there are some freedoms. You know, there are some improvements, let's say, um, you know, women's rights and, um, you know, opportunities to get out of abusive relationships and, you know, there, there's some good things, but there's so many difficulties, right? I don't think it's proportionate. Mm. Then you look at the Krishna consciousness paradigm. And if we're using the old sort of Vedic paradigm, it's very, very defined and very traditional. Um, but it's sort of also up for interpretation. Mm. Kind of depends on which part of the world you're from, you know, how long you've been a devotee, who your spiritual master is, you know, who your peers are. And it's really 
not good, but it is what it is. So let's just look at like the North American version, okay? <laughs> or I'll say the healthy version, maybe not North, but the healthy version, you know, the, okay. the more evolved version, which I think devotees, especially the senior devotees, have learned over time that we can't take everything literally face value out of the philosophy. We have to use our intelligence and see how does this work? How do we apply this? So in that way, you know, I, I still, subs I like, you know, I'm kind of an old fashioned girl. I, I kind of like the old fashioned way, you know, that the man is the protector and the provider and the supporter. I like that. It leaves the woman the space and the opportunity and the time to really focus in on her children and not feel that she has to work. Okay, if she wants to, you know, if, fine, but she doesn't have to. And then there's not this like financial strain. And when there's financial strain, that's one, there's seven, six or seven things that cause strain in relationships and finances is one of them. So I like that. And I like the idea that the woman, it reciprocates. So she's soft and she's gentle and she's feminine. And, and I like all that. She speaks nice words. I'm not saying I always do it, but I like it. <laughs> I love the idea that she's there to make her man feel strong and, and healthy and powerful and good. And, and I, I just love it. You know, I really do like that. Um, you know, how much it can work. I don't know. We have to adapt it, but I think that's nice. It's not always going to work. So then we just have to look at the reality of like, okay, how do we adjust that paradigm? Mm -hmm. But maybe the guy, he's like a Mr. Mom. And maybe the woman, she's just this powerful go-getter attorney. So, you know, this, again, this brings up like the Varnashram thing, right? What's my nature? I shouldn't suppress my nature just because I'm a wife or just because I'm a husband. It's all about working together and cooperating. And we should all do what we're best at. So if I'm best at going out and being a high powered attorney, I should do that. And if my husband's really good at, at, at cooking and cleaning and you know taking care of the kids, let him do that. Whatever, whatever we're good at, we should do that. Um, so, we do. So I think devotees have a lot to reckon with. Mm. You know, we have like that old world culture outside of our spiritual community. Then we have the new world reality of how to make things work and who does what and what's right and what's wrong. And, and then we have the reality of like what of real expectations and what makes a relationship work. And then we have the Krishna conscious paradigm. And that's just going to be a little different for everyone, depending on where they live, you know, and who they are and who they're marrying and who their mentors are hmm. and what kind of guidance they're getting from their mentors. I don't know if that answers. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm super duper inspired. <laughs> I think because I favor a more traditional kind of, leaning in my at least in my thinking not in my life unfortunately but at least in my thinking and so i feel like kind of validated to hear you speak a little bit well um, i think i think also some you know some men actually want to marry a woman and some women women actually want to marry a man 
and he doesn't know what a man is and she doesn't know what a woman is, they can feel let down. Like I right. thought you were going to be providing and protecting and no, 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 no. That's up for discussion. So like what John was saying, yeah, it be up for discussion, but it has to be agreeable. And that should be discussed before you get married. So it's not a, it's not a problem. But if you go and, you know, and you know, your wife's like pushing you all around and go pick up that, go clean that. And it's like, whoa, you know, I didn't mm. sign up for the military. I, you know, my concept of a woman was, you know, motherly and gentle. And so different, different role models may suit different people. Mm. And I just want to add something before I forget. When we were talking about different marriage paradigms, one of the things that I teach in when I teach about marriage is just asking the question, does this work? Is it working? Because people, all, you know, as devotees, we're always like, what's right and what's wrong? Because Shastra is all about right and wrong. Mm. But beyond right and wrong, we're more about what works because the right may not work and the wrong may, so, so, so to speak. So I'm not talking about, you know, compromising our basic principles. But when I look at my marriage, it, it, people say, do you have a good marriage or, or, or is your marriage good? Like, what, what's your barometer? for evaluating it like that. Well, my wife does the farming, takes care of the cows, and we have 10 kids. And yeah, but she's she's this and that. Don't you want a woman as this and that? No, I don't. I just, you know, so that's the old paradigm, right? Uh. And so in the Krishna conscious perspective, I would ask, is this relationship helping you become Krishna conscious? Are you more Krishna conscious as a result of this relationship? And if the answer is yes, that should be like a big check on the top of the list because that's mm. that's what it's about. And as John was saying, if you're going in entirely for romance and having your needs fulfilled by this person, you may be in for um, a rough ride. So I think I think it's important to appreciate if this combination. Maybe you think, well, we don't get along as well as I'd like, but have you become Krishna conscious? And say yes. Well, that's really a that's really a big factor because you could get a better, you could divorce and get a better, maybe emotional, your emotionally needs needs fulfilled better or more romance, but it may not help you in your Krishna consciousness. So is that what you want? I hope not. So I think that's an important question that, that, that couples can ask to help appreciate. Well, you know, I wish my husband were like that. I wish my wife were like that, but does this combination help you? Are you, you have good kids you you're doing service and so forth. Wow, that's 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 major, a major factor. The the basis is being covered very extensively. Like we, so 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 much has has been said that has been so helpful as we're just seeing from the comments. There there are just a few comments which which touch on a uh, particular aspect potential aspect of this discussion discussion that has not yet been addressed and it it was it's also been sort of something pressing for me which is essentially uh the following Jonathan Maharaji you from what you've shared the principles that you've given um it it really pertains to like the human condition to human beings like the principles that you've shared applies very broadly across the entire spectrum regardless of whatever 
religious community, whatever sort of like a milieu within the greater society you find yourself in. It's just human interaction and principles that pertain to that. But I really want to hone into our Krishna conscious society. And just in alignment with, with some, some questions that were asked a little bit earlier, like, for instance, Robert was asking, would reasons for divorce differ from within the Hare Krishna community and ordinary society? Like, what would be some Hare Krishna-specific conditionings and character phenomena that really um, become very problematic within relationships. Like, I'll give an example, for instance. Like, a man may enter into the relationship um, with an excessively detached mentality, right? On the one hand, he, ha he wants to be the controller, but on the other hand, he also wants to be detached because this is not the ultimate goal of life. Like, like that, that kind of thing. Sort of in that vein. Like, what are the... Because it is clear, um, I've heard some really crazy stories, and I'm sure all of us have, of uh, you know what's what's happened to people and the kind of things that were done to them by their partners or not done for them by their partners that are like standard essential stuff. I think you're getting the gist of what I'm what I'm asking, um, because these things really, really need to be addressed and. Um, and there are definitely themes, universal themes. I'm just going to reflect that real quick. So you're asking, are there Krishna conscious specific things that we've learned that are almost like sabotaging our ability mm -hmm. to have successful relationships? And the evidence yes. to demonstrate that there's something that we might be getting in our culture or misunderstanding in our culture that's not going to allow us to be successful. Yes, yes. And also certain kind of like universal character traits within the community. For instance, m like uh, a too large amount of men entering into a relationship, not having taken proper self-responsibility or like whatever it may be. Yeah, that's, no. that's it. Yeah. Do, who, you want to go for that and I'll go after Mahatma for more? Uh -huh. Okay, I some I have to get. I my, mean, I can I can say I something. To, I if can you don't, if you, you keep that. Yeah, you know how he has to think, I, and then all these no, amazing thoughts come out. For me, it's just like, well, okay, um, okay, go. Yeah, so for me, I just think you know, right off the bat, abuse, physical, mental, or emotional, um, mental disorders. Those are reasons that anybody should feel justified in having to break off a marriage. Um, and then I think too much detachment is a kind of abuse. Mm. You know, if somebody, first of all, you shouldn't get married if you think that you're gonna get married and then be detached. <laughs> I mean, what? that's a conundrum, That that's an oxymoron. <laughs> So you, you are attached and that's why you get married. And then through regulated behavior, you slowly become detached. Mm. But it's a slow, gradual process. It's not, you know, there's no point. If that's what you think, you're going to get married and a year or two later, you're going to be detached. Just don't do it. 
So, and that is a kind of abuse, you know, men who withhold or women who withhold, you know, it, it's not right to withhold a need, whether it's like the need for a child or the need for affection or the need for just creating the feeling and sense of security of a home or the inability to provide financially or the unwillingness to participate in this relationship in a way that both people people feel heard and understood and their need their basic needs are met that's also a kind of abuse in my opinion mm. and um would be you know grounds for separating you know what i find is that couples have these problems but then they come for support they come for counseling and their misconceptions get cleared up mm. and then they're so relieved see that's the thing you you have these conceptions and you fully and wholeheartedly believe them but they're causing your relationship so much strain and 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 tension and pain and then if you're you know if you don't want to get divorced you know if you both decide okay this is not in our favor we should give it our one last ditch attempt and you go and get good professional counseling then these concepts that are holding you from really being able to have the kind of relationship you want they'll get cleared up and then you'll find wow it's okay to care about my partner actually it's it's not better than okay it's nice you know and not only that it's like we're a team and i have her back and and i have his back and you know that's the best thing i mean one of the best things about being married is that you you have each other's back mm. you're not alone you know you have each other and so if you're going through a hard time i can be there for you and if i'm going through a hard time you can be there for me you know we're a team and winning teams successful teams they know how to play the field properly mm. right so they're there they're covering each other's i don't know whatever sport you're talking about i'm not a sport person but you know they're blocking the enemy and they're catching the ball and they're throwing it and then they're kicking it into the goal and it's like woohoo we success we did it we're a winning team but losing teams they're just you know running all over the field making bad moves but how good does it feel to win on a team and how bad does it feel to lose on a team Mm. So a lot of times people just are immature whether it's by age, by experience, by emotion when they're given the space and the opportunity and the time to grow and mature with counseling and education then they're like oh it's okay if i love my wife it's okay if i love my husband it's okay it's, in fact, it's better than okay. So, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Manajit. Yeah, I, I think I can um, piggyback on this. I just wanted to make an announcement first that uh, Kronavatar, I put a link. Janava's doing a marriage course. Okay. In conjunction okay, we'll, with the Bhakti we'll, Center. We'll share it's that. It's coming up soon. 
and, very soon um, on Sunday. If you're married, thinking about getting married. No, it's for couples. It's couples, you can't yeah. just be an individual. You have to. Yeah. It's for couples. So if you're if you're not married, you have to. That's yeah. You don't have to be married, but you have to be yeah. in a relationship. You have to find your partner before the class if you don't have. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, okay. We'll that. We'll, we'll we'll plug it again at the end, but I just want to say, since we're mentioning it now, it's via the Bhakti Center uh, on Sunday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's EST, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. EST, and then the details are on the website. So, but yeah, we'll 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 mention okay, it again a little good. bit later. So, I want to take this question um, that was asked about specifics for devotees which I don't think are only specific for the Krishna conscious movement, but I think for religious movements in general. And I think Janava hit on it, uh, misinterpretation of scripture. So, you know, and then the traditional roles. Well, I'm the husband, so I'm Kardama, and you should be like Devahuti, who just basically, you know, if there's anything to eat, there is. And if there isn't, there isn't. And if there's a place to take a bath, there is. And if there isn't, there isn't. And that's the example of Shastra. So, you know, you should just follow me and I'm doing my tapasya and you should, you know, just do whatever tapasya I do. And so we've seen a lot of that. And there's, you know, unlimited ways, of course, you could misunderstand scripture. So... You need, you know, younger people need guidance, especially from mature devotees who understand Shastra, because it's very easy to misapply. You can understand a philosophical principle, but application, um, all hell sometimes lets loose in the application. Uh -huh. Now we have an example sometimes we see of this, uh, which is which is really, it's so unfortunate and unfair for women, but sometimes men who have heard that it's better to be single, realize they can't be single. And so they decide to get married only because they can't be single and also to get it over with ASAP and get out of it ASAP, which is obviously a very um, awkward way to say the least, I'll be polite and just use the word awkward, reason to get married. Mm. And But we we see that how many people process the philosophy and or how they are trained makes them quite unsuitable to have a good relationship. And like Jonavis says, when it's cleared up and no, it's not about that, it's okay to be attached, not as only it's okay, it's quite unnatural not to be, but not so attached that you are going to deviate, but attached in a way that helps you and you actually need this and you recognize that you need it and it's not something you're gonna get out in 10 years but you're going to do, do this full. And then you get the guys, well, I'll just do it in 10 years and not have kids. And women generally want to have kids. And it's unfair to the women if you don't give them kids. And that causes divorce quite often. The guy just says no, or vice versa. He wants kids. She won't do it. But misunderstanding of the philosophy on the practical side, I think, is you know you can just go down the list. I'm in control submissive wife, do whatever I say. And then that borders on abuse, physical or, or verbal abuse, or even eventually sexual abuse. You know, I'm the man, you do whatever I want. And I want to have sex. No, no, but I'm initiated. I don't want to, no, no, I'm the man. You know, like you can just extend it. Mis, you know, everything can be misused. So 
I don't want to point out specifics. I would just like to point out in general mm. that okay. anything empathetically and in a compromised way, giving and taking and fulfilling the needs of your partner, it's not Shastra. And don't think it is and don't shoot all the like John just said we it's not about me it's we if it's not we oriented give and take sacrifice um, recognition that I need to be married this is the ashram I need to be in and, and I need to do it right not to, to do it in a strange awkward so-called renounced way anything other than the compassionate empathetic compromised self-giving it's wrong it's not, you can't, and you base it on Shastra, then it's double wrong or triple wrong or quadruple wrong because now you're using the Shastra that is meant to awaken love of God to demean another person. I want to tell a story. This is a beautiful story. I was there. This devotee, he had a one-year-old child and he wanted to leave his wife to take sannyas. And she was, um, even though she had this child, she would go out, go out every day, two, three hours, distributing Prabhupada's books because that was her service and she was attached to it. And she would have someone take care of the child for a few hours and go out. So she was a good devotee, you know, very, very good devotee. And he was a good devotee also. And so he said to Prabhupada, this is getting, this household life is getting in the way. And Prabhupada said so many things to defeat that, that nothing can get in the way. But one of the most significant things Prabhupada said, have you read that verse in Bhagavad Gita uh, where Krishna says, "He one who puts no one into difficulty is very dear to me. Did you consider, hello, anybody home, did you consider your wife that you would leave her with a one-year-old child and how much difficulty would that put her in? So I knew this devotee and I knew what he was thinking. He was thinking about himself and his spiritual life and he felt he made a mistake in getting married and he wanted to take sannyas and spread Krishna consciousness all over the world. Take sannyas, spread Krishna consciousness all over the world. That's glorious if you don't have a one-year-old child and you're not putting <laughs> your wife into distress. So that kind of immaturity and perversion of the philosophy was very prevalent in the early days. Unfortunately, it's still prevalent in some places, especially places where there's not a lot of senior association or a lot of uh, people wise about what grihasta life is. So it's actually dangerous. Shastra can be very dangerous because you have to have a very mature, refined, nuanced, perminical consciousness and experience with the world to really interpret it. And so these are natural ways people will interpret it. And that you get so many problems. And who suffers the most? It's the women, because the women are much more mature than the men. The women don't think like that. It's all the men that think that way. The women don't think, I'm going to get married and, you know, we're going to preach all over the world and we'll never have kids and we'll live under a tree. Now, that's how the guy thinks. I mean, a few women think that way. But after three years of marriage, the women at a certain age think, I was so stupid to think that way. So it's really it's really the problem I see is the men with these they're crazy, it's, crazy ideas. About it's so hearts. interesting hearing your perspective, Mahatma Prabhu, because it's making me think why scripture... When you said you were learning scripture, it meant you were going to a guru to hear in the old world. And there weren't so many books. So there was really no other option to learn scripture other than to go to someone who could teach you. Whereas yeah. nowadays when we say I'm studying scripture, it means I'm reading some books. 
And which leads, you know, and so it leaves a lot of room for this sort of misinterpretation, especially like our scriptures are dealing with the world of transcendence and the whole talk about the conventional world is very peripheral. So you're left, that leaves so much room for like extrapolation and interpretation for how you're supposed to deal with the conventional world when the whole focus of the literature you're studying is about transcendence. And so the archetypes that are being esteemed are those who are primarily focused on transcendence. That doesn't give you a lot of insight to work with the conventional world, but then you're taking it as an absolute reality because it's in the scripture and then so much confusion comes up. Just Anyway, I just kind of wanted to reflect that and appreciate why to learn scripture in the real sense means to hear from a qualified teacher, basically. Yeah, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add um, a little chili sauce to this to make you, to make <laughs> to make it even more clear. Then you have the example of your father, mm. or the absent father, the father. You have the example of your father. Hopefully, it was good example. But if it wasn't, that's in there. You don't even know it's in there. It's just in there, mm. and so you're acting on it. And yet, yesterday, we had a talk about. Um, girls' education, and and we were talking about culture. And Vishaka Prabhu said something which is so important. She said, culture has to be modeled by leaders. So, you know, when you have good examples of grihasta couples, that's what you see. And then it just, it gets in there. But if we don't have that, and we see other examples, we, we tend to emulate that. And that is uh -huh. true, whether it's in Krishna consciousness, or outside. So a lot of times when we're dealing with couples who are having problems or a man comes to me and says, I'm I'm very angry, or a woman comes to me and says, my husband is abusive. And I'll first question, I'll say, was his father like that? And 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer is yes. Mm. He's just, and he's just doing what his father did because he thinks that's the right thing. And then it looks like what the scripture says is what his father's doing. <laughs> you know, and, and then it's like, okay, he's got reinforcements and you need a mature devotee, like Janava was saying, you need a mature devotee say, no, that's not what Prabhupada wants you to do. There's so much more that probably needs to be said that should be said, but I can't believe an hour and a half is already <laughs> out. Like that flow. So I just have one final question personally. Corona Avatar, I don't know if you got something also, but it's a more of a simple and very kind of practical question. How, how, um, what could we, as men, this is the Honest Man's podcast, and I want to hear from both of you on this question. What is it we can do for one another in order to assist one another and being the types of men that we need to be to mm -hmm. either enter into relationships or to maintain them? Like, from your years of experience and working with so many couples, I'm sure you have opinions about this also. So what is it we could do? You know, I'm talking younger guys also, older. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess for me personally, I'm speak, I'm a little bit older. I'm not like old, old, but I'm, you know, I'm older now. And I have a lot of younger guys that look up to me as like a big brother. Like I have a lot of big brother energy. I'm an older brother biologically also. And somehow my whole life, I've always ended up being the big brother, but when, even when I was a brahmacharya in Chicago and even now. So what am I, I guess that, that's to make it a little bit more personal. What, am, what can I do as an individual 
to help, I don't know, just help give support to younger men who are looking for relationships or have already entered. Like, what role am I supposed to play in all this? I mean, we're yeah. trying to do the podcast, trying to get these topics out. That's one thing we're doing. I'm thinking of other sort of practical ways I could be of help. Like, whether I need, hey, bro, you need to go see, get counseling. You need, like, what is your top one, two, three suggestions of what we could do to help one another be better men? I, I think the crux of it is men need to understand what, a man's, what it means to be a man. And I think they misunderstand that. And, you know, men have the, the, the macho side and men are supposed to have the feminine side as well and balance that. And um, I think men are confused by bad role models, by movies, novels, music, what it means to be a man, to be kind, considerate, polite, gentle, um, I think that the best thing you can do is because once they know what it means to be a man, not for men, but a man for a woman, because that's ultimately who they're going to be a man for. If it's a man for a man, then if I can beat you up, everyone's like, whoa, look how strong Mahatma is. But if a girl sees me beating you up, she's like, I'm never going to be near him because he'll beat me up also. Right? So there's a man's man and there's a woman's man, and they need to understand the difference. And so mm -hmm. if you're going to enter a relationship with a woman, you have to be a, the man the woman wants, what she expects, what she needs, which is much different from the competitive man that we are. And, you know, like I was saying, we joke. We we insult one another. It's kind of, you know, that's what men do, right? Do you ever insult mm -hmm. your friends and just laugh? And your friend laughs. Try that on a woman. See how that goes over. No, no it doesn't work. So men need to know the difference between a, being a man's man and a woman's man. And um, I think that's the big problem now. And all everything we discussed, or most of it, evolves around uh, that misidentification of what it means to be a man and a husband and a father. Not the way necessarily your father was a husband and a man and a father, but the ideal, both from a moral, ethical, and spiritual level of what... what well, here's, here's the other idea. Maybe this is the kicker. The future of the world is really in the hands of the mothers and fathers. And if you can't set a good ideal for your son or daughter, you're messing up the world. You know, just being realistic. And if you can set a good idea, a good example, you are helping the world. And so this is where I see the problem is bad families. It's like they never got trained. They didn't have good examples. They don't know what it means to be a man. Don't know what it needs to be a woman. Then they can't teach their kids what it means to be a man. And when they can't show them. And then we get generations of children who are confused, emotionally disturbed, and don't know what is dharma and so forth. So that was, to me, that's the most important thing you can do is help men be men, be fathers, be husbands and the world's going to be much better and if we can't do it in krishna consciousness we have a problem because Prabhupada wanted us to be examples and brahmins and teachers and, and Prabhupada said we are meant to be examples and you're all getting divorced he said what kind of example is this mm. so he was really concerned so I let us be examples of, a, of being a man for Prabhupada. that's what he wanted what he expected Jonathan Davy, inside we we want this side of you. Oh, that I, I would so nice, Mahatma. Um, 
Well, a couple of things. One thing is I think you're already doing a lot. So I just want to acknowledge everything that you already are doing. And you're probably helping and modeling so much more than you even realize. So continue to do what you're already doing. Um, another thing is to let men know that it's okay. Like if they don't know what to do and it's okay to reach out for help and support. Mm. There's nothing wrong with them. It's not unmanly. It doesn't make them weak. Um, it makes them honest. And in counseling, there's a big difference. There, there's a misconception and men especially have an issue with this that they think weakness is unattractive, but, and it is, but the thing is they, they mistake their weakness for vulnerability. Mm. Vulnerability is a beautiful human quality and emotion. And there's nothing more attractive to a woman than vulnerability. It doesn't make them weak. It makes them accessible. It makes them human. It makes them lovable. So men should know that vulnerability is an asset and not to be afraid of being vulnerable and not knowing and, mm. and needing help. That's not weakness. Weakness is coward, cowardliness mm. when they hide behind a false exterior of strength and power and like mm. macho-ness that's weakness but strength is when you're willing to admit that you you're sad you're lonely you're afraid you don't know you know you're not all powerful and perfect and you need help mm. and then thirdly um is to remind men and women both that however they treat their partner is really just a reflection of how they're treating Krishna. So they're so interconnected. Um, if you have a good relationship and you're caring for and serving and respecting and your partner, if there's a very good chance you're also doing that in your devotional life. But if you're not doing that to your partner, there's a very good chance that your devotional life is also a bit of a sham. Mm. And so we need to remind each other that, you know, this sounds so threatening, but Krishna's watching. You know, Krishna sees, Krishna knows, and he doesn't like it when we mistreat or neglect our partners. But when he sees us caring for them and treating them nicely, he dances in joy for that. He's, you know, he's jubilant. He feels happy. And so if you want to make Krishna happy, then work very hard on your relationship and making that 
a good, happy relationship. Try. <laughs> wow. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was a very um, on point, conclusive ending. Before you close out, Karuna, I just want to apologize. I know I probably hijacked the thing. I had like 150 <laughs> questions and I only was able to ask like five of them and still I hijacked it. So please forgive me for that. And I'm um, sorry, guys, we can't have a, even a longer episode. Five, we need at least five hours to really get to the tip of the iceberg. But we only got an hour and a half. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, both of you. It's just, I'm really, I'm inspired. And um, I feel kind of enlightened a little bit from all that you've shared today. Mm, just absolutely. My personal appreciation. There was, a, there was, there was so, so much that came out. It, it's, it's interesting, though, because um, we didn't really speak about divorce all that much, you know, like divorce per se as a phenomenon, as something that happens a lot. And, you know, which is, I guess, completely fine because on the contrary, on the other end, what, what was discussed is what, what are relationships really about? What, what should they be? What makes them not work? And I guess then, you know, the, 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 the phenomenon, widespread phenomenon of divorce becomes null and void if those principles are followed. So anyway, I, I think I think we we can we can leave it at that. A lot of divorce is unnecessary. Yeah. That's, that's the point we wanted to make. Mm. Right. And I think right. we did discuss, you know, by what you we know what causes divorce. Right. You know, right. we did discuss that. And I think you wanted to also at least help people understand that some, at some point divorce may be the only option and they shouldn't feel guilty about it. They've tried everything. So, you know, my philosophy is try everything, do everything you can to save it. But if, it, if it's detrimental emotionally, physically, spiritually, you may have to separate. And, and if that's the case, you know, don't take it as, you know, just this is what life is dished out and learn from it. Yeah. Again. Don't um, live in eternal guilt and regret and so forth, but go forward in your Krishna consciousness no matter what. I think that's we wanted that to come out. We didn't talk about that, but that's that's also important. Chai. Um, all right. I there there are various uh, pointers at the bottom of the screen. Um, Mahatma Prabhu's website, mahatmadas.com. There's so much going on there. And I also want to say that there's a there's like one tab on the Griasta Ashram and so many incredible resources and writings and like a lot that can be found, including um, the premarital counts, uh, premarital questionnaire, which is uh, super helpful for couples getting into things to, to be discussing. Um, you know, Janava, Janava Madhaji is a, she is a couple therapist and counselor. That's what she does. So if anyone needs help, I would recommend um, approaching her for her professional assistance. Janava Madhaji, if someone wanted to contact you for your assistance, how, how could they go about that? They can just shoot me an email. You want to, uh, I sure, my... I, I can put it in. Uh, yeah, do you know it's it? yes, it's yeah. I can I can put it in here, um, and we can just show it for a second. I can find um, a messenger or WhatsApp also. 
Um, okay. Okay. But okay. But I, okay. Many, right. many, many relationships have turned around after she's helped them. Makes sense to me after what I heard today. Yeah. <laughs> it's really uh, at, she's really good at it. It's John of a Davy 108 at gmail.com, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All if right. anybody's so, having any problem or you're just getting married, like I, I believe this is like essential to have counseling. It's, it's almost mm -hmm. like trying to fly an airplane just because you know how to drive a truck. You know, you think you can just, you know, elevate yourself or you can fly a helicopter. No, it's such a, a difficult, such a difficult endeavor and not something we, we can take lightly. We need to be prepared. So if anyone is thinking about they might need marriage counseling or they're having trouble, it's just from my experience that we've seen like amazing results. And all the people that did it, would they would tell me, at least the ones I recommended to her, they'd say, I'm so happy we went to her. This has really helped us. It's like this conversation today, it's opening us up, right? We're like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know this. Oh, if I just would have known that, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, well, better better you know it now before you continually make mistakes. Okay, final, final thing. Jonava, I'm using, I'm saying Jonava Davy, but um, this question is there. It's For me, it's kind of like funny. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a serious question also. How do you prefer to be addressed, Jonava Mataji or Jonava Prabhu? Hi, Rob, yeah. Um, I don't care. Um, Prabhu's a little weird, I have to admit, <laughs> because I, I lived in India for so many years. Mm. So I got really culturized there and I learned to really love the word Mataji. Mm. Like I, I know for women who live in America who've never spent time outside of the West, they, they think Prabhu is more respectful and they think mother or Mataji is like a downgrade, mm. but I don't see it that way. You know, I feel like Mataji is a really esteemed term that I feel honored when someone calls me that. And um, and that's how they see it in India, too. Mm. So, um, and then Prabhu, it's just, I, you know, I, it's just a very um, weird word for, I don't know. It's a masculine word. Yeah. It sounds very masculine, so I feel... I feel masculine when somebody calls me that. It's this just me. This has nothing yeah. to do with anyone else. You weren't always like that. Before India, you didn't. Mm. Like <laughs> yeah, no, it's probably true. Someone mm. called you mother and you go, I hate that. Tell them yeah. not to call so me that. It's like I said, I've been culturized. Uh, so now okay. I've, I've just changed my thing. So He's New York Jewish. Call me whatever yeah. you want. I mean, I tell people just to call me Janova. Okay. And I'm very happy with that. I don't need anything before it or after it. I'm <laughs> A-OK -okay with, you know, that. So um, it's up to you. <laughs> I'll accept any anything you call me. You can call her her Lotus Grace. <laughs> I won't accept that. Sorry. Ultimate <laughs> marriage counselor, Kijai. Mm. 
Shri Gurudev, uh, Janavan Mataji, now I no longer have to feel insecure about calling you Mataji because I was feeling a little insecure. I didn't know if you liked it. Yeah, me, I, so. was, I was feeling scared. That's why I was going for Davey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Thank you so, so much for joining us. It was certainly so enlightening. Um, so many encouraging comments from the from the comment section. So thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, yeah, that that's about it. We're out of here. Thank you. Hare Krishna, you could just stay on for a second. We'll just end the broadcast.